To be effective today, I believe the things that God wants to first do in all our hearts are the things that God wants to shift. He wants to realign. He wants to bring order to, to our hearts. I want to actually start with a famous scripture. If you're part of the movement of prayer, you've been around church long enough, you would have heard this verse quoted many, many times. Uh, and in fact, some people are frustrated with this verse because it's almost quoted so much, but we see so little of the promises in it. So I'm going to read first from Second Chronicles 7.14. Um, this is Solomon praying, and then God speaking back to Solomon. Solomon prays this long prayer, and many people don't realize this. When Solomon prayed the prayer, dedicating the temple, do you realize God answered him by sending fire from heaven? <laughs> We think about Elijah, he prayed and fire fell. Well, when Solomon also prayed, fire fell from heaven. That's pretty intense, how many of you think? And then God speaks to, uh, to Solomon and speaks to the nation of Israel, but this is, this is the word to Solomon, and we quote this many times. And there's so much truth in this, and um, I, I believe we are yet to see the, the fullness of the manifestation of God's promises in this verse, because we've got to realize if we're not seeing the manifestation of what God is saying here, then we need to ask God to examine us. We can't be pointing the finger at God and saying, God, we're not seeing all these things happen. Well, let's look back at the conditions. Let's look at, at what God is actually requiring of us and see if we are meeting God's requirement for national transformation. So, it goes, Second Chronicles 7, 14, actually from verse 13, it says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin and I will heal the land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be perpetually there. Everyone said amen. How many of you have heard that scripture before? Yes. How many of you have quoted that scripture before? I quote that many times. Um, what I am after is not just a large gathering of people to pray. What I am after is not just masses of people praying. What I am after is quality prayer that actually leads to actual transformation and tangible change. What I'm after is not going through the activity of same prayers. There's lots of prayer meetings happening. There's lots of spiritual activity, quote-unquote, going on in the church. But really, if we were to examine the impact of what we're doing, we would be, we, we, we would be good. It would be good for us to be honest with ourselves and see that a lot of the things we're doing are not really having the impact we want them to have, or we're not really seeing the type of results we want to see. We're not releasing the type of results that actually it's clear 
that God is at work. There is a difference between successful evangelism and a move of God where there's a great awakening or what some would call a revival and the fabric of society is shifted and changed. There's a difference between me being able to speak and communicate the gospel and you're like, wow, that's a great speaker and the spirit of God and conviction of sin coming on people such that they're hiding under the seats because they're so scared. By the way, the presence of God manifests sometimes in ways where we actually get scared. You don't believe me? Ask some people in scripture, like John the Apostle, who was so close to Jesus on earth, he was leaning on Jesus. I mean, he was pretty intimate and close to Jesus, okay? When he saw Jesus in his glory, you know what happened? He fell like a dead man. What happened between the Jesus that he was able to lean on so easily and the Jesus he saw in this vision in Revelations. Well, he saw Jesus in the fullness of his glory. And we are experiencing the presence of God many times, but it's like trickles and little bits. If God were to begin to manifest as he really intends to, it's sad to say some people are going to die. Okay, you think I'm making that up? Ask Ananias and Sapphira from uh, Acts and that's not Old Testament. Because <laughs> some people say, oh yeah, God is angry in the Old Testament and God is happy in the New Testament. Well, you might want to read the book of Revelations and you might want to ask Ananias, what happened to them when they lied in the middle of revival? You know what happened? They dropped dead and died. Now, those are aspects of the presence of God we don't really talk about in the West. Those are aspects of the presence of God we're not very familiar with. In fact, we're, we, we almost shy away from those dimensions. But we cannot embrace aspects of God that only make us feel good. And aspects of God that only sound politically correct. And other aspects of God we think are kind of a bit controversial. We just shy away from them. I'm telling you, there's a lot about God we in the Western church have no idea about. And God is wanting to unveil the fullness of who he is to the church. There is something about falling in love with God and living in the fear of God. Okay? When I say that, I'm not mean the fear of God where we're running away from God. The fear of God is the kind of fear of God that causes us to live the lifestyle that's conscious of the fact that God sees our thoughts, hears our thoughts, sees what we're doing in our hearts that no one sees. And every decision we make in thought or in action, God sees it and it matters to him. Living in the fear of God is living in the awareness that God sees everything and it matters to him. So there, there is a level of awareness God is wanting to draw us into. We want to see revival. We want to see transformation. We want to see God impact our society. And many of us from that desire are coming to pray. God change our nation. God change this. But we don't realize it's not just the prayers we pray that means God's just going to answer and boom, it's going to happen just like that because we prayed it. Because there are some conditions for the type of prayers that God actually responds to. It's not just every prayer we pray that God responds to. If you read this verse carefully, look at what it says. If my people, okay, well, let me just backtrack. This, this verse really, many of us will look at this and as a, as, as, a, as a, for lack of a better word, like a God's way of 
asking us what to do if we really want to see revival. So God is saying, if you want to see national transformation, if you want to see transformation in the community, don't look at the politicians. Don't look at the local government. I'm not saying God does not use local government and God does not use politics. In fact, the Bible says pray for those in authority. But God is not saying, what God is saying is, if you want to see me move in your community, you are not actually going to be looking at the government and the people out there. I need you to be aware of your responsibility. For the land to be healed and for revival to come, God's eye is not on the government. Now, what the government does, God is concerned about. However, God's eye is on the church. Because the verse now says, if my people, who are God's people? We are God's people. So we are the ones that hold, we hold the keys. We hold the answers that will actually bring shift and change. So God is saying, if my people, again, it's a conditional promise. It starts with the word if. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Many times we think of the humbling themselves as just coming and bowing our knees before God, and I believe that's true. By the way, you can do a lot of acts in the natural, in your body posture, and still be proud in your heart. You can lift your hands and say, Lord, I humble myself before you. Or get on your knees and say, Lord, I humble myself. And still be proud in your heart. Only you really knows if you're really being humble before God. And when I see humility in this verse, I link it with fasting. Why? Because in the Old Testament, many times when they wanted to humble themselves, you know what they did? They fasted. They fasted to humble themselves before God. And today we're fasting. It's a way of saying, Lord, we are desiring more of you than we are food. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. In other words, our life is not just coming from bread. Our life is coming from your presence. So we're going to shut off the desires of the flesh to eat bread so that the desires to feed on your presence increases and we actually fix our gaze on you. We humble ourselves in the flesh. So when it says, if my people will cover my name, will humble themselves, replace that humble with fasting for now. If my people who are called by my name will fast and pray, okay, and seek my face, I don't have time to go into this so much right now, but there are different dimensions of prayer. And Jesus kind of alluded to this when he talks about um, asking, seeking, and knocking. He says, you know, um, I love how they amplify it, or some amplified translations, but he says, keep on asking and you receive. Keep on seeking and you find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. See? The asking is a reflection of the outer court. If you understand anything about the, the temple, you have the outer court, you have the inner court, and then you have the Holy of Holies. For many Christians, our prayer life is all the time remaining in the outer court of just asking. The outer court is mostly focused on natural, material, earthly, temporal things. For many Christians, our whole life is focused around God giving us a nice job, a nice house, a nice husband, a nice wife, and uh, whatever else is nice out there. 
And we just want God to make us comfortable. In fact, I think that's one of the problems in the West. The reason why many times we're not seeking God because the, we're so comfortable in the West. I know we, many of you here would say you've got issues and things that pressures of life, but in comparison to the rest of the world, we're very comfortable. Now, most of us, our prayer lives is just around keeping that comfort going. Okay, God, um, I want you to just give me this and give me this. And a lot of our prayers are always earthly focused. I want to challenge you to look at the prayers of the New Testament, especially Paul's prayers. Most of Paul's prayers were not focused on earthly things. Paul's prayers were mostly focused on spiritual things. Why? Because you can gain earthly things and they fade away. But the things you gain of God in the spirit, like he says in Ephesians 1, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, whatever you gain of God by revelation stays with you forever. So you actually take that into eternity with you. You're not going to take your job, your car, your house to eternity with you, right? So it's good to be rich towards God. Are you tracking with me today? Are you tracking with me today? So for many Christians, we remain in the asking realm. The seeking realm takes the focus off you. The seeking realm is now focusing on God. What are you seeking? You're seeking him. What are you after? You're after him. Now, you're not after him for what he can do for you. You're after God for God's sake. Now, I want you to examine your own personal prayer life. What percentage of your prayer life is actually dedicated to just going after God? What percentage of your prayer life is dedicated to ministering to God, like you said of Samuel? Samuel ministered to the Lord. Acts 13, they ministered to the Lord. That is, that is a place of seeking. So when God says to, uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Solomon here, and says, my people will call my name, will humble themselves and pray, okay? I think of that prayer as in that outer court. And seek my face. There is a difference between seeking the face of God and seeking the hands of God. The hands of God release the blessings of God. The face of God is about intimacy with God. And there is no way we can seek his face and miss his mouth. There is no way we can come close to his face and he has to shout for us to hear him. If we seek his face, then he can whisper and our hearts respond because we're in close proximity to him. It could be many times the reason why we're not hearing God could be a picture of our proximity to him. Because we are hearing so many other things apart from God. I believe the posture of seeking God and having that as a default in our lives actually sensitizes our ears, I mean our spiritual ears, to discern the heart of God and the voice of God in situations. But for many people in the church, we are not really seeking God. We are seeking what God can do for us. Now, even, I might go out a bit here when I say this, even in seeking for revival, many times we can seek for the move of God and not the God of the move. We can seek for God to use us on a platform and God to use us to raise the heal the sick 
And all our seeking is just about what God can do through us. Is anyone alive here today? Sometimes your heart motivation is revealed when what you're seeking for, God does not do through you, but does through someone else. Do you rejoice in that moment or do you feel something going on in here and then you ignore it and then jealousy and envy stood up there? How many of you know the story of the older brother, the prodigal son? The father, uh, the, the prodigal son comes back home and there's party going on, there's rejoicing going on and you know what happens? The older brother comes back and starts to hear the noise of dancing and jumping around and all that and he's thinking what's going on and then he's told your brother's come back home and your father's just thrown a party. So now he gets upset. Why did he get upset? He didn't get upset because there was a party going on. You know why he got upset? Because the party did not revolve around him. So when you're really seeking God, you're seeking God for God's sake only. He is the, he is the end. He's everything. He's the means and the end. You're going after him. He's your sole focus. But for many people, that is not the way. It's, it's like God is a means to the end. God is, I'm going to seek God because I want God to use me. I'm going to seek God because I want revival. I'm going to seek God because I want this. No, I'm going to seek God because I want to know God. So when he says, seek my face, he's talking about an intimate relationship. And I think this is why many times revivals and, you know, what we call revivals and moves of God fade away. Because people fall in love with the move. And they fall in love with the activities. And they try to replicate those activities in other places. And then end up f uh, 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 formulating all kinds of religious things. The fact that when God moved last year, people were on the floor laughing does not mean if God moves this year, that's exactly what's going to happen. And then some people start to fake the move of God and start to do things in the flesh to try to look like what that looked like back then. Because God is always on the move. So what he did in, 2000, in 1904 with the Welsh revival is not necessarily how he's going to move in 2019. Or in 2018. Now, I'm not trying to say God is not wanting to do even any, any bit of some of the qualities in that revival. But many times it's been said that the, the, uh, the move of God, let's say God, moves at the, uh, let's say God moves today. The move of God today ends up persecuting the move of God tomorrow. Because the people involved in the move of God today get used to how God is moving now. And don't realize God does things in different ways and sometimes he catches us off guard i mean the pharisees missed him you know they they were looking for a god in a certain way and they missed jesus and even when jesus came jesus's move the healing of the sick the raising of the dead you, you look at the miracles of jesus they were all very unique and different he wasn't just doing the same thing all the time because god moves that's why we need to be people who are walking in close proximity to seeking him. Because when he shifts, we need to learn how to shift. When he changes his, you know, emphasis in some way, we need to learn how to emphasize what the spirit is emphasizing. So, my people who come by my name will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, and this is partly where I'm going, will turn from their own wicked ways. That is actually shocking that God said that. Because it didn't say if the world will turn from their own wicked ways. 
He says, if we, the church, would turn from our own wicked ways. And you may say to me, well, I, I don't feel like I have any sin in me. Well, my question to you is, it depends on how close you're walking with God. Because as the light gets brighter and you walk more in the light, the things you never used to see, you start to see. And the things that God starts to deal with. I don't know if God has shown you the wickedness of your own heart, but I hope he does. Because <laughs> it's going to lead you to a place of repentance and humility. And that is where he wants us, a broken and contrite heart. The problem is we're trying to have prayer meetings here. We're trying to pray that God will move out there in the world. There is a lot of wickedness in the world, and we're saying God move out there, and God's like, but there's a lot of wickedness in you. And actually, if you read carefully, it says, only if we fulfill these conditions, we'll humble ourselves, we'll pray, we'll seek his face, turn from our own wicked ways. He, he then said this, he says, then I will hear. Are you listening to me? He says, then I will hear. He's put a condition on his hearing our prayers. The effectiveness of our prayers is based on the fact that we know he's hearing. Could it be that sometimes we're praying and he's not hearing? Not that he doesn't have the ability to hear, but our own wickedness and iniquities actually blocks us off from him responding. So he chooses not to hear. In fact, he says that very clearly in Isaiah 59. Look at this, Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand, hand is not sh shortened that it cannot save, nor is, he, nor is ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So he will not hear. Has anyone got their Bibles here? I'm not making this up. Isaiah 59 verse 2, I'm going to read that again. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So that he will not hear. He's poor condition on his hearing and it's the removal of iniquity. It, it talks about God raising up someone to stand in the gap. I sought for a man to stand in the gap and God says, I found none. And many people who are into prayer and all that would use that scripture where God talks about looking for a man to stand in the gap, which is a picture of intercession, being a voice of God to man and being a voice of... Yeah, being a voice of God to man and being a, a voice of man to God, you know, standing in that place in between. God is saying, I looked for a man to stand in the gap. If you read that chapter clearly, you find that what God is saying is he, he identifies all the crazy things going on in the nation. And then he says, but I sought for someone to stand in the gap. And the kind of person he's searching for is the person that's totally different from all the junk going on in the nation. I'm searching for somebody to stand in the gap that is like them in terms of their human, but is different to them in that his lifestyle is disconnected from the darkness. So that qualifies that person to stand in the gap. So when they lift their voices to cry out to me on behalf of the lost, their voice pierces through because their voice is not contaminated by the iniquities of the people they're representing before me. Amen, somebody. So God is like, I want to raise up voices of intercession and prayer. 
that are able to break through and pierce through because when they lift their voices, nothing in them agrees with what's going on in the world. It's amazing to me when I look through scripture how there's a lot of emphasis, even in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, you know one message they both preached? Repent. John started his, mess, his, his ministry by preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, I'm just going to turn there quickly. Matthew, Matthew 3, I believe it is. Matthew 3, 2. Actually, Matthew 3, 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says this in verse 5 of Matthew 3, 5. It says, Then all Judea and the regions around Jordan went out to meet John, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan. Look at what it says. Confessing sins. So John starts preaching his message, repent. Repent is not about changing direction. It's more than changing direction. Because it's about changing the way you think. If you change direction and don't change the way you think, after a while you're going to end up facing the same direction you shifted from initially. So it's not just changing the way you think and changing direction. And this is one of the components that I believe is so necessary today for our effective prayer. They came to him confessing sins. Confessing sins. First John says this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is a certain teaching going around some aspects, some places in the body of Christ right now where they're like, you don't need to confess your sins because Jesus has forgiven your past, present, and future sin. So you don't need to confess. Well, First John begs to differ. And there's a condition on it. He says, if you confess, he will forgive. So for the forgiveness to take place, there has to be a confessing. For many people, so much is going on in here that's not been confessed. So much is going on in here that there is a lot of physical sickness that's connected to lack of confession. You don't believe me? Well, ask James in James 5. He says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. So that's not just physical healing, that's emotional healing too. In other words, there is a place for confession. There's a place for releasing the things that are going on in here and it's just you. I always like to put it this way. Many times we don't realize this, but the power of sin is in its secrecy. The fact that it's in the dark, that is exactly where the enemy functions best. He's known as the prince of this world, the prince of darkness, right? He functions in the darkness. What kind of darkness is going on in here that's given the enemy authority to influence your life? Because listen, the enemy does not have authority, but the enemy ends up having authority in the life of the believer because the believer comes into agreement with the enemy by their lifestyle. As soon as your lifestyle starts to agree with the lifestyle of darkness, the enemy now has inroads into your life. And because he has inroads, now he has authority and influence over your life. 
And for that influence to be broken, there has to be a confession. You have to admit what is going on. He will forgive and he will cleanse, but you have to confess. Someone say confess. You know the amazing thing about the scripture I just quoted in James? That scripture is connected to fervent and effective praying. In fact, let's turn there. We're going to look at some scriptures today. James 5. He says, James 5, 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses or your sins one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of the righteous man avails much. Isn't it amazing? It's connected effective praying to confession of sins. If we connect that to the verse we just read in uh, Second Chronicles, it says, turn from our own wicked ways. And then it says, he will, it will heal the land. Our turning from our own wicked ways is connected to healing coming out of us to the society. In the same way in James it says, confess your sins that you may be healed. And then that helps you to pray effectively. Everyone say effective praying. Yeah. Yeah. He says, John, 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. I'll read that verse again. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. There are three continuing present tenses. If we continually walk in the light, one. If we continually have fellowship, two. The blood continually cleanses, three. Are you tracking with me? There is a condition of this, walking in the light. If we walk in the light, the end result is the blood continually cleanses. You know what that means? The blood does not cleanse in the dark. Hiding things and holding things back, struggling with addictions and not being open about it. It amazes me that we come to church meetings and church events, and many of us come to these meetings, and the last place we are honest is actually in the church, because we all want to act like life is just perfect. But didn't Jesus talk about coming for those that are sick as opposed to those that have it all together? So if there's anywhere where we should be honest, it should be in the presence of God. Because you can deceive me and I can deceive you, but you cannot deceive the spirit world. So we might as well be real with one another. The blood of Jesus does not cleanse in the dark. It cleanses in the light. You have to step into the light. And that means you choose not to hold on to those things that you know is just you that knows what's going on. Oh, another side of this is you are resolving conflict and relationships that are out of order around you. <laughs> prayer and effective prayer and intercession, it's not just one way where we're just talking to God. It's actually connected to our connection to one another. Jesus says, I'm not going to forgive you, or the Father is not going to forgive you if you don't forgive the person that sinned against you. I didn't say that. 
That's what he said. So if you're going to be forgiven, you have to forgive. And the amazing thing is he didn't put any condition on the type of offense that has been committed against you. He just said, if you're going to, for, to be forgiven, you have to forgive. So now, listen, if I come into a prayer meeting like this, and we're here, we want to pray, we want to seek God, and I'm passionate about God changing society, but I've got unforgiveness in me. And you come from over there, and you're struggling with addictions, and the other person comes, and they're struggling with depression. And we all come together, and we all shout and sing freedom, and then we start to pray for the nation to be changed. Do you think those prayers have any impact? Why? Because we're not walking in the light. Because I'm holding on to my thing over here, you're holding on to your thing over there, and we're coming together trying to put on a show trying to dance around and lift our hands and do Christian gymnastics. <laughs> but not really Im impact anything in the spirit realm. By the way, you need to realize this because the way the world is heading, many of us are not going to be able to discern when the Holy Spirit is moving and when he's not. Because with 21st century Christianity, you can have a good meeting and God hasn't shown up. But your soul has been stirred and you've heard nice music. But Holy Spirit was not even showing up. And you thought what you felt was Holy Spirit. No, it was just the great voice of the singer. Because now we are, we are very dependent on our strengths, our ability to sing, our ability to preach. We have preachers that can preach you into a frenzy while you remain in your bondage and still need deliverance. So I'm not just after a nice communicator and someone that can get me all excited. I want the real deal. I hope you want the real deal. Because if you do, then we're in, the, we're in the right place. We cannot desire the real deal and not be real. You can't be saying, I want, the, I want the real Holy Spirit. I want the real manifestation of God. But you're living a fake Christian life. You're raising your hands, jumping around, and there's all this stuff of unforgiveness going on between your brother and your sister, and you're not even talking about it. You've had a fight, and it's not been resolved for a whole week, and you've not been speaking for a week. Yeah, you come into church, and you say, God, I love you, God. Do you know what has happened there? When you come in here, and there's unresolved issues with your husband, your wife, people that are close to you, unresolved, and you come here and you are lifting your hands and worshiping, do you know what you're doing? You're releasing to God contaminated worship. Because that worship is filthy. Because it's not coming from a pure place. Didn't he say, don't come and offer your gift at the altar without first going to reconcile? God cares about how you treat people, not just about how fervently you can pray. <laughs> that's a word for someone right now we cannot just come and shout and go yes God save the nation prayer storm is not just about volume you remember Hannah in scripture she was praying for a baby she wasn't even shouting but her prayer was fervent and it broke through because there was authenticity in it it was from the depths of her heart. Some people are like, well, prayer is all about shouting and you know, I don't like the noise. No, prayer is not about shouting. We may end up shouting, but we're not after volume. We're after authenticity. Something that's real in here. I want the prayers coming from this place today to really shift the condition of the United Kingdom.
It's not just that I want that. God wants that. But God is saying, your prayers are not going to have that kind of impact if you don't turn from your wicked ways, from your lying, from your cheating. For some people, we might not even be lying, cheating, and pornography. Jealousy and envy. You are jealous of the fact that God is using that person and not using you. You're jealous of that person's ministry. But this is, this is I don't know how we always do this. But we act as though God doesn't see the jealousy. And we just, we just, sometimes because we ignore it so much, it becomes a blind spot. So we start to function out of jealousy and envy in our relationship to that person or other people talking about that person. And we react, but we don't realize our reaction is coming out of something rooted in jealousy and envy, and we can excuse it. So, you know, they're always whatever, they're always, but actually, the reason why you're saying it that way is because you're jealous. How about you just come before God and say, Lord, I am jealous. Lord, I feel envy. Lord, I don't like the fact that it feels like you're using that person and not me. I know what I'm saying may be wrong, Lord, right now, but I've just got to confess it before you. I want my heart to be right. So you go and confess it before God, and then you go to that person and say, you know what? I'm jealous of you. I have been jealous of you. But right now, I'm coming to you to honor the gift of God in you and break that power of jealousy. And I want to say to you, you're a great preacher. You're a great leader. You're a great singer. You're a great businesswoman. And I'm amazed at the gift of God in you. So I honor that. You know what's going to happen? That demon of jealousy is going to flee from you one million miles. Because what have you done? You have confessed it and you walk in the light. How many bondages are going on in our meetings where we want to pray for revival, but there's so much darkness going on in our hearts and we're kidding ourselves, shouting. And God is like, your prayer is not breaking through. You're, you're shouting, but you're not breaking through. And God is like, if you want to break through, 101 is repentance. If we want to see revival in the church, revival in the nation, I'm telling you, repentance is the way forward. I'm going to finish with this, and then we're going to have a ministry time. You see, there's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot I don't know. You know, uh, you know, people talk about spiritual warfare and spiritual mapping and this principality and this power over this, re over this region and that region and all that. Now, obviously, I'm a prayer warrior and I do believe in a lot of, you know, these things. And sometimes I think people go to the other extreme and, you know, start casting the devil out of cups of tea and start casting the devil out of their clothes and start finding, start demon hunting everywhere. I'm not into demon hunting. However, I am. I mean, if you've listened to me long enough, you know, I do talk about demonic activities and those, that reality. What I'm trying to get at is sometimes we can focus so much on those things, we don't realize the enemy actually has no power or authority if we live in a place of repentance. Because the enemy is able to work through pornography, darkness, and immorality because it's tolerated here. But once you start to repent, you weaken that stronghold. You don't even have to cast the devil out. He goes out. In fact, I remember some weeks ago, I was at church, and um, a Ram church, we're praying. You know, I think I'd just spoken, and a lady came forward for prayer. 
I can't remember what I spoke on, but as I was praying for the lady, I just asked her, have you been involved in witchcraft or anything? He was, oh yeah, I've been involved, involved in, I've been involved in a Ouija board. And so I'm like, you need to confess that. So she starts to confess. She confesses a bit and then she looks at me and she says, oh, you know what? There's this thing, I, I, I don't know. She was struggling with a lot of confusion and bondage on her mind, okay? So she confesses and then tells me that. And then I was, I, I was about to say to her, well, let's pray again. Just before I said, let's pray again, she said, oh, I need to confess this quickly. I think she confessed something. I can't remember what it was. Let's just say it was Ouija boards. She says, tarot cards. Thanks, Becky. She says, she says oh, um, by the way, I just want to confess this. I have been involved in the past in tarot card reading and all that, and I don't even know why. I just feel like she confessed this. The moment she confessed it, do you know what happened? The demon left her. She shook. She manifested a tiny bit and was like, did you feel that? I'm like, yeah. I didn't pray, she didn't pray. You know what happened? She just confessed it and its power was broken in that moment. A lot of times when we're trying to see people set free, many times they have to first come to a place of learning how to confess sins because that is where the enemy hides. That is, that is, his, that is his playground. As long as there's sin going on unconfessed, the enemy is able to access, is able to come through in whatever way and influence what God wants to do. So we have to be a people that gets good at confessing. You have to get good. Someone say, get good at confessing. Yes, get good at walking in the light. I want to encourage you to leave this place today and find somebody or some, a group, your husband, your spouse, or close friend that you can always confess to. That you can go to and say, you know what? This is what's been going on, and I just want to bring it out in the light. Let's pray. <laughs> because I'm telling you, if we would all do this, when we come together to pray, we will be having explosions. <laughs> Because the hold of the enemy is so weakened that the enemy can't really break through. He can't influence what we're doing. I know I said I was going to finish at that point, but I'm going to, another point just came to me I need to say. <laughs> Daniel 9.21. Daniel 9.21, it says, As I was praying, this is Daniel speaking. He says, As I was praying and confessing my sins, and the sins of my people, Angel Gabriel was caused to fly swiftly and reached him about the time of the evening sacrifice. Daniel 9.21. Daniel is in captivity. Daniel is in captivity not because of what he did. Daniel is a righteous man. But Daniel finds himself in captivity because of what his forefathers and his parents did. Hello. So you can be a Christian and living in a form of captivity, not because of what you did, but because of what was done before you got here. Hello. When Daniel started praying, he didn't just confess his sins. You know what he did? He confessed the sins of his people. And he says, we have sinned. He didn't just say, Lord, they have sinned. Lord, the prime minister has sinned. Lord, that person has sinned. Lord, forgive them. He said, we have, he identified with the sin of that people. And this is where many times intercessors can get arrogant. It's like, Lord, they have sinned and they're horrible and that. And real intercession, actually, the ultimate form of intercession is Jesus on the cross. He identified with our sin. 
And if we're going to be effective in our press for the lost, we have to almost say, we have to almost come into a place where we begin to feel how that impacts on God. And we're saying, Lord, have mercy on us. No, Lord, have mercy on them. That is effective intercession. Lord, have mercy on us. And this is the amazing thing. Daniel was confessing sin. And this is where I wanted to go with the whole spiritual warfare thing. A lot of powers of darkness, principalities, they're all able to function effectively because they have ground troops. The enemy has a kingdom that's highly organized, high right. You know, there's hierarchy in the kingdom. Ephesians talks about that. So if we want to disarm the enemy, get people repenting. Okay, let's look at Manchester, for example. People start to encounter Jesus in Manchester, and they start to confess their sins. And imagine a great portion of the population encountering Jesus and confessing their sins. I mean, really. And just calling out to God and God cleansing their hearts. Do you know what that happens? Without you doing any deliverance meeting, the power of darkness influencing the region is broken. Because the people that the darkness will walk through have come into the light. So that spirit is not able to function effectively because people are coming in the light and confessing their sins. And many times we've not stepped into this level of prayer that much, but there are times where we can pray and we're not just confessing our sins, but God allows us to step into a place of feeling the sins of the nation. And we begin to confess the sin of the region, even the sins in the youth, the sin, whatever it is. And we begin to feel the burden. I'm telling you, I've heard some people go really deep by the Holy Spirit in these areas where it's not just a confession of, oh, Lord, forgive us and move on. I mean, they're confessing for days. And do you know what tends to happen after those kind of experiences? <laughs> Revival breaks out. People start to encounter God because as they were led by the Holy Spirit into deep confession and repentance, they were weakening the power of darkness in that region. So the people that were under that power of darkness, because now it's weakened, their hearts are more open to the gospel. And because their hearts are more open to the gospel, they respond quicker when the gospel is preached and God is stirring hearts. And that's what tends, ends up happening. God ends up releasing transformation on masses of people. How many of you want to confess today? Thank you for tuning in to Preston Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. For more information and teachings, go to www.prayerstorm.org.